If you have your Bibles today, I would like to ask you to open them to a number of passages of Scripture, but only one at a time. So that's a good thing, right? And we're actually going to begin with Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25 is where we're going to begin. Now, listen to me. Let me begin. Let me walk down here just kind of to get your attention. Okay. This sermon is a sermon you're going to have to really think about. And I feel like if you follow this sermon and think about it, the content in it is transformational. Every sermon should be that way, right? But sometimes I'm writing a sermon and while I'm writing it, I'm I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh my God, look what you're giving me, God. That's how I feel and I cry out to him. I feel like this is one of those sermons. But it's a hard sermon to follow because we're gonna read about 50 verses together today. That's a lot of scripture to read. So you're gonna have to discipline your mind to pay attention and follow. And I think it will be worth the journey. Uh, Because we're reading so much scripture and because I do it every week, there's a Bible app event for this. And you can follow along on that and that can be helpful to you as well. We're talking about transitions and we're talking about how we can transition in our lives so that we become better people, healthier people, so that we honor God more, and that's the real key, and so that we are effective as we serve him in the kingdom. That we can move from being the person we are to being the person we can become, and when we do that, it's a blessing. And some of my thinking from this series comes from a book by Scott Sauls called From Weakness to Strength. Last week, we talked about transitioning from envy to contentment. And this week, I want to talk to you about transitioning from pushing to praying. But I probably don't mean praying in the way you think I mean praying. What we're going to do today is look at in Scripture, and if you don't have your own Bible, there might be one in a pew near you. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. I'd encourage you to open it to chapter 25 to begin with. We're going to read about a man named Jacob. He's an Old Testament patriarch. And I want to begin by reading about his birth. So we're going to read in Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 19. We're going to read about 10 verses here. So follow along silently as I read. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, from the, from the Aramean from Padam, Aramean, blah, 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 blah. Okay, here's what you need to pick up at verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, what is happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, There were twin boys in her womb. The first came out, the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Okay, I just want to give you a few things to notice there. First, Jacob, the second born, is born grasping onto the heel of his big brother Esau. 
Now, you may think that has no meaning. I mean, they're infants, their arms are flinging around. You know, I looked at little um, Charlie today and his arms are like this. He's not knowing what he's grasping. And you may think, eh, I don't know if that meant anything. But before the story's over, you'll know that means something, okay? And the second, I want to talk to you about the name Jacob. We give children the name Jacob today because we see that name as reflecting as to who Jacob became. But when Jacob was born, you wouldn't want to name a baby Jacob because it was not a pleasant name. There are a number of ways to translate that name from the Hebrew, and none of them are happiness. Here's some of them. Supplanter. Heel catcher. Cheater. Deceiver. Liar. The one who seizes. No one wants that kind of a name. Third, in that day, when a father or a mother gave a name to a child, it was supposed to be a blessing. I'm going to bless you with this name. But would you consider being given a name liar as a blessing? Hey, liar, go feed the dog. I don't think I like it. I feel like that would be a curse and not a blessing. Now, one time we were in a small group here at Curvinsville Alliance, and a number of us gathered together. And in that group, there were a couple people who'd never really read the Bible, and they didn't know this story of Jacob at all. And we're going through the book of Genesis. And this guy said, and I love what he said. If you can ever study the Bible with someone who never studied the Bible before, it's always refreshing. And this guy said this. He goes, you know, I'm looking at this Jacob, and I'm looking at his kids, and I think those guys ought to be on Jerry Springer. They kind of epitomize dysfunction. No wonder. Liar, cheater, deceiver. Who are you? Jerk. I don't even know why I had you. No wonder Jacob and his family epitomize dysfunction. So I want to move forward now. I want to go to Genesis 27. So you might have to turn a page or two in your Bible. And we're going to read 29 verses here. This is the lengthier, uh, lengthiest of the three passages we'll read today. Okay? going to start right at verse 1 of Genesis 27. Follow along as I read. When Isaac was old and his eyes, okay, remember who Isaac is? That's Jacob's dad. Jacob and Esau's dad is Isaac. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said to him, I am now an old man and I don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and your bow and go out into the open country and hunt some wild game for me to eat. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Pause. This was something that fathers did in that day. They took time to take their children aside and bless them. And the one who received the blessing in that culture was always the firstborn. And that's what Esau is. Let's continue to read in verse five. Now, Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt for the game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare it. Prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is hairy. He's a hairy man while 
I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him. (laughs) Appear to be tricking him. That's an understatement. And would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And she prepared some tasty food, just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau to her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She covered his hands and a smooth part of his neck with goat skins. Man, Esau must have been hairy, right? Right? And then she handed her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. She went to his father and said, I'm sorry, he went to his father and said, my father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done what you have told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you're really my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked? I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought him the game and he ate and he brought him some wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May the Lord give you heaven's dew and earth's riches and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. And may those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. You see what's going on there, right? Here's what's going on there on a deeper level. Jacob, with the encouragement of his mother, is trying to turn the curse around. He's pushing. He's pushing. And that's a word that I want you to hear. Pushing. He is using cleverness. He is using his talent. He's using some mechanisms that have been put in place. And he's pushing. Okay, third, I want to read you one more story. It's Genesis chapter 32. As you're turning there, I just want to remind you that earlier, Jacob, before this happens, Jacob uh, connived to get Esau's birthright as well. And in the passage we just read, he took the blessing, and that really made Esau mad. In fact, the scripture says in Genesis 27, 41, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, and listen, listen to what Esau says. The days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And if Jacob hadn't fled, he'd probably be a dead man. Now, it's important to understand, before we read this last passage, I just want to say to you, it's important to understand that what Jacob is doing here is wrong. Okay, this deceit, this cheating and everything, it's not a good thing to do. But what he is doing is living out the name that was given to him. He is being a cheater, a deceiver, a liar, a schemer. He is being a Jacob. This is exactly what he's doing. And, and, And in this incident that we're going to read about now, Jacob, actually God, lays this curse to rest. And Jacob becomes a new person. It's a new identity. 
Now, before we read these, let me give you some context. Jacob ran away because Esau was going to kill him. And after several years of living with Laban, his uncle, he's coming back home. He's coming home to where he knows Esau lives. How is Esau? The last he knew of Esau, Esau wanted to kill him, right? So let's read the passage of, um, of the night before he meets Esau. It's Genesis 32, starting in verse 24. You got that? 32, 24. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him to daybreak. Now, I just want to pause here and tell you that man is God. I believe that man is God. Other places, he's called an angel. Even in here, the man says, you've wrestled with God. So I'm saying it's God, okay? Those words are somewhat used interchangeably in Hebrew uh, language, so it's tough to, to see, but it's God. So follow along. Verse 24 again. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him to daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Okay, let's read that again. The man asked, what is your name? Liar he answered. Okay? Next verse. The man said, it's so powerful. Listen to what God says to him. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Penuel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose over him as he passed Penuel, and he was limping because of his hip. Now, I want to talk to you about this passage uh, and these passages and kind of put it together. I want to begin by saying, by just addressing some common complaints that we make toward God. And, and Jacob made them as well. If you allow this analogy, I'm going to use an analogy from games, from playing cards, that one of the first complaints that you see is this complaint. Why was I given this hand to play? Why was I given this hand of cards to play? Anytime that you say, why God? Why are you letting this happen? You're asking that question. Why is Willis the favorite son? How come I'm not the favorite son? Or why was she given such a great voice? I would like to have that great voice. Or why wasn't I good enough to make the all-star team in baseball? Why didn't you make me better baseball player, God? Or why didn't she say yes when I asked her to marry me? Jacob had the why question going, and I don't blame him. I mean, Jacob didn't ask to be the second favorite son. He didn't even ask to be born. Why was Esau born first? If I'm supposed to be the heir of the promise here, God, given to Abraham, then why didn't you have me be born first? That would make it a lot simpler. Why does my father like Esau better than me? I mean, if I'm to receive the the blessing and the favor, then why didn't you give me favor in my father Isaac's eyes? And why does Esau, the one with no sense of self-control, who sold his birthright for a bowl of stew, why does he get the blessing? I mean, if I'm supposed to carry on a family line, why is there even such a thing as Esau? <laughs> and why did you let my father curse me with his name? Liar. Why? Those are real questions. They are indicators of real pain. And they are not just questions in Jacob's heart. They reside in every heart. In fact, in one sense or another, 
We are all Jacob. Because we ask that kind of question. Jacob has to wonder, why do I have to deal with the same old problems? I mean, as an infant, Jacob has been told, I was grabbing at my my big brother's heel when I was born. I'm sure he heard that story too many times. And then there's this bowl of stew that we didn't read about here, but it's another incident where Esau actually sells his birthright in exchange for a bowl of stew that Jacob has made. And, And I think it's pretty safe to say that's when the real hatred started to ramp up a lot. Why does this keep happening? The same old problems. And then there's this outright deceit where he steals the the blessing from Esau. It's identity theft, right? When is this conflict ever going to end? And even after the theft of the blessing, Jacob's mother tells him, go, go to Laban, my brother, and stay there a while. I'll send you a message whenever your brother Esau's anger has cooled. I'll, I'll send you a message. And I can't find in the Bible when she did that. He never gets the text or the email. He never hears. Coast is clear. Come on home. Is this never going to change? Why am I dealing with this same old problem? I can hear, I can hear his complaints. Why was I given these cards to play? Why am I given these same old problems? Why can't I seem to get over this? Don't tell me you never asked that question. If you're an adult, you have probably asked that question. And don't tell me that you're saying, well, it was just a question. It wasn't a complaint. (laughs) Yeah. You really can't blame Jacob the infant for grabbing his brother's heel. I mean, he's an infant. You can say it's very sad that he was given that name because of that incident. But by this time, and hear this, Jacob owns the name. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. It is who he has become. And he can't get over it. He's stuck being that guy. It's ingrained into his personality because of years of behavior. And perhaps he was really never more aware of how impotent his practices are until he's at this point where he's ready to meet his brother Esau. Remember, he ran away because Esau wanted to kill him. And now he's on his way back and he sends a group ahead of him just kind of to meet Esau and see what is the response going to be And here's the the report that comes back to him. We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. That does not sound promising. Jacob doesn't have an army with him. Esau's bringing 400 men. 400 men. And Jacob's afraid. The Bible says he was in great distress about that. And so that very night is a night that he is alone, and he wrestles with God. This incident with God comes to bear on that night when he's afraid about the encounter with his brother, the brother that he cheated, the brother who hates him. And now he's going to wrestle with God. But before we talk about his wrestling, let's talk about the common response people have to problems. The common response is to push. You you might imagine that Jacob pushes his way out of the womb, grasping at his brother's heel. And you can see Jacob pushing his way into the family inheritance, saying, I could give you this bowl of soup, this stew if you'd like it, you know, for, but you have to give me your birthright. And he pushes his way. Okay, mom, you think this will work? Okay, yeah, give me that goat skin. I'll go in and I'll steal the blessing. In fact, this tendency to push, this sinful desire to push, it seems to be as ingrained in Jacob as that of a woman giving childbirth. I have to push. I cannot not push. It's just part of who Jacob has become. Do you ever feel that way? 
Do you ever feel that this response of trying to manipulate and make things happen is just, it's ingrained in your identity? I do. Jacob did. We push sometimes by using our power. Years ago, a, a gentleman who was an executive in a rather large corporation was attending my church, and he gave me, this is how long ago it was, it was one of those vinyl binders that has cassette tapes in it. You know those, right? And they were cassette tapes on how to be a better executive. And, and, and what, what they said was, use power in your conversations. Don't ask people what they want. Tell them what they want. Don't ask for permission. Demand permission. And don't threaten people. Just command people. That is not a good way to navigate relationships. And yet, many of us do that. Well, Pastor Steve, I don't do that. I don't push. I'm not that person. Really? Well, just think of the parents at any legal, little league game, walking up to the coach afterward. How come my kid wasn't playing? <laughs> do you push? Do you push? Or think of it in these terms. What about when... The cable company double bills you one month. What is this doing on my bill? I had that conversation this week. Pushing. Or look at the way we drive. Pushing. I'm getting in there. I'm getting ahead. We're looking out for number one. I want to help you transition from being that person who pushes with power to being a person who prays. But I probably don't mean prayer in the way you think I do. We use our power, or maybe we use our talents. And Jacob used his talents, right? Years ago, when I first started out as a young pastor, right out of school, I wanted to serve in our denomination on a committee somewhere. That would be cool. I'd like to be on a committee. One of the movers and shakers, you know? That's what I want to do. But I was an unknown, right? I mean, I was clear up at the very top of Pennsylvania, as far from the district office as you can be. I can see New York almost from where I live, right? Uh, who are they? How am I going to? How am I going to get a position on a committee? But I noticed something about committees. I noticed that they had clerks or secretaries who took notes. And so what these men would do is, uh, women would do, they go in and they write down the minutes, and then they go home to their typewriter or their computer, and they type the minutes up, and, and that was their role on that committee. And I thought, I can type. It's a talent that I have, and I have a laptop. I wouldn't even have to go home. I can do the notes right there. And so I told people, I have this ability. You might want to put me on a committee. You know what I was doing? It really shames me to say I was pushing and using my talent. Here's the shameful part. Not to serve the kingdom of God, but so I would feel like I'm somebody. I'm somebody. I have this talent and I'm going to use it so that you know that I'm somebody. I want you today to transition from using your talents to promote yourself to just praying. From pushing to praying. And I probably don't mean prayer in the way you think I do. We push sometimes with our escape mechanisms. Jacob's escape mechanism was very literal. He literally fled. And yeah, that worked for a few years. And some of us have done that. We maybe haven't fled town, but we've run away from difficult marriage. We've run away from responsibilities and avoided them, vegging out in front of a screen. We've run away from doing what God has us to do. And some of us use very destructive escape mechanisms. 
alcohol and other drugs, pornography. And even good things can be escape mechanisms to kind of, you know, push away our problems, maybe even things like working hard and making a good income and devoting your entire life to that or being the best mom and dad you can be. That's my identity. I'm that guy. I'm that girl. Or, or work, even working out. Look at how I work out. And, and we're using those mechanisms to escape the pain that we feel inside us. And that's not a healthy thing to do. It's all pushing. And I want to transition you from pushing to praying but I don't mean praying probably in the way you think I mean praying. I want to help you find the kind of prayer that Jacob found, and that's the kind of prayer that pushes you forward. On the screen it says Genesis 23, but it's actually Genesis 32 because I'm a little dyslexic sometimes. You've already read this passage, but I want you to go back there again. Could you do that? Genesis 32, starting at verse 24. In a few moments, we're going to read that a second time. It's the time when Jacob prays. <laughs> And his prayer is for sure an odd one. I mean, he knew his brother, whom he cheated, was coming with 400 men. Jacob doesn't have an army. And he knew that the methods he had used in the past, his power, his talent, his escape mechanisms, they weren't going to work this time. So what should he do? He prayed. But here's what's interesting. The Bible doesn't tell us that Jacob asked God to protect him from Esau and those 400 men. This passage we're going to read, again, doesn't say, And Jacob prayed unto the Lord, O Lord, be my shielder and defender. Yea, Lord, come against Esau and his men, so that I may be preserved for your honor. There's none of that. That is not the kind of prayer that he prays here today. He is praying the kind of prayer that moves him forward to where he needs to be. The Bible says he's wrestling with God. And that language is so unusual, to wrestle with God. Let's read it again. It's just seven verses, maybe eight. So Jacob, this is verse 24, Genesis 32, 24. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. So his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. The man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But the man replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called a place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Listen to me. The kind of prayer that moves you from pushing is prayer that wrestles with God. And if you look at the screen, you see that the word with is capitalized and italicized because that's the emphasis I want you to get. That Jacob is not wrestling against God. Jacob is wrestling with God. Jacob is not trying to defeat God. Jacob is wrestling with God. Jacob is not trying to get away from God and escape him. Jacob is wrestling with God. In fact, he won't let him go. Do you see that Jacob grabs God almost like a twin grabbing his brother's heel? And Jacob holds on to God almost like a young man holding on to his brother's birthright. And Jacob wants God like a boy wanting his father's blessing. Jacob wrestles to hold on to God. 
This is not a fist fight where he's trying to knock God down. This is not kickboxing. This is not sumo wrestling where the object is to get your opponent out of the ring. This is a wrestling of embrace and Jacob will not let God go. And if you want to transition from pushing, from conniving and deceiving and manipulating and bullying and fleeing, then grab a hold of God. That's the kind of prayer that Jacob is praying. He wrestles with God. Jacob is praying a prayer that doesn't argue with God, but persists with God. I don't think that Jacob is fighting against God. There's really nothing to fight against God about here. He is begging God for help. More precisely, he's begging God for a blessing. I will not let you go until you bless me. And he knows that God is the only one who can change this, that God is the only one who can deliver him. And that's why he won't let God go. So if you are moving, wanting to move from pushing to praying, you're not arguing with God. You're simply asking God for help and you're asking that his will be done and you're, you're agreeing with him. You're saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because when you move from pushing to praying, you are moving from stubbornness to surrender. It's a huge change. It's a huge change. The kind of prayer that moves us toward this kind of prayer, wrestles with God. And it persists with God. And it actually reshapes your person. It changes your identity. It changes who you are. In Jacob's life, his dad was not the problem. In Jacob's life at this point, his name was not the problem. His brother Esau was not the problem. His mom was not the problem. In Jacob's life, his uncle wasn't the problem. Those 400 men marching toward him were not the problem. In Jacob's life, Jacob was the problem. And he knew he was the problem. And he felt stuck there. And he didn't know how to get loose from that place. How do I get out of here? Except to grab onto God and say, change this problem. That is me. In my life, my dad and mom are not the problem. <laughs> my brothers and my sister are not the problem. My wife is not the problem by any stretch of the imagination. My children are not the problem. In my life, I am the problem. And in your life, you know. And that is why Jacob is asking for this blessing. He wanted God to do what he could not do. I have to wonder if he wanted God to somehow undo all the damage I have done by pushing. Please do that. I will not let you go until you bless me. I'm not sure Jacob was asking God to make him into a new person, but God gave him a new name. He says to him, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And a couple things happened. A couple things happen as an outcome of this prayer. First off, um, Esau doesn't kill Jacob. Spoiler alert. I'm going to tell you how it ends. Esau ran to meet Jacob 
and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. (laughs) You know what that was, right? When I was younger, I used to think, well, I guess his anger had abated. He kind of just got over his anger. He was okay with his brother. He's doing all right. He has an army of 400 men. Nope. You know what that was? An answer to a prayer that was never really even spoken so far as we know. God did that. He changed his heart. So the first outcome is that Esau doesn't kill Jacob. The second outcome is that Jacob isn't a jerk anymore. (laughs) It's kind of interesting. About this point, Jacob's children take over the position of being idiots, right? And he isn't anymore. Not like he was, that's for sure. He is transformed. And here's one of the reasons. Because he has transitioned from pushing and manipulating and conniving and bullying and demanding and tricking and running away to just pray. To just pray and say, God, take care of this. Take care of this. So in a minute, I'm going to pray for you. And it kind of makes me mad that I pray for you at the end of every sermon. Because then that makes it routine and it doesn't feel as meaningful. When I pray, I don't want the worship team to go up yet, okay? Because I really want us to pray for a minute or two. Because I feel like a lot of us are Jacob. And we, we need to move from pushing to surrendering and just letting God change us. New Year's Eve. Right here at Kermansville Alliance. Sunday night around New Year's or a group of us together. And, and I said this, I said, tell me the good things that happened in 2018 and then tell me what we were praying for in 2019. It was a great time of sharing. Sometimes in a small group, you throw those things out and people are like bumps on logs, you know, like. You ever have that happen in a youth group? <laughs> no, never among the youth, right? But this time it wasn't that way. Everyone was talking about, here's what God did. Here's what God did. Here's what God did. And one woman, I wrote it down. I actually did. I went home and read it down that night. Let me read it to you. One woman said words like these. She's a parent. She's a parent of adult children. And she said something like this. For years, I have pushed and pushed, trying to push my children toward God. And I finally stopped. And I just, just prayed. And look what God has done. He's doing great things in the life of my children. I can't wait to see what he'll do next. She transitioned from pushing to praying. I want to pray that, well, no, here's what I want to do. I want to ask you, do you feel a need to make that transition in your heart? And if you do, I want to ask you to stand and then I'm going to pray for you, okay? So if you feel it, if you feel like, yeah, that's a transition I need to make, stand and I'll pray for you. Transitioning from pushing to praying. You are making a great decision, those of you who are standing. It is a wonderful thing. There is a supernatural God who knows you've been wrestling with him. He's been wrestling back. And while you felt that you've been holding on to him, (laughs) he could have escaped easily. He wants you to catch him. And so today, I'm going to pray that that would be the occasion in your life. And that if there is a portion of your identity that is, I'm the pusher, I'm the manipulator, I'm the controller, I'm the liar, I'm I'm the trickster, I'm the runaway, whatever that portion is, we're going to renounce that in the name of Jesus and we're going to ask God to give you your, your new identity, the one who wrestles with God and won't let him go. So let's pray to that end. 
Father in heaven, these people who are standing before you are people who want to, who want to have you. They don't want to do the same old thing and be caught in the same old pattern. They don't want sin to reign in their mortal bodies. They don't want to be manipulators. Rather, Father, they want to be men and women who trust you. And so right now, in the silence of their heart, they say to you, I renounce being a pusher. And they would say to the enemy, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, any ungodly influence that has come upon me as a curse to infect me and make me think in this way of a pusher, I renounce that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I rebuke the enemy in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they transition from that mindset, they move in their heart to say, God, I surrender to you and I trust you. I allow you to take care of Esau and his 400 men. I believe you'll do it. Because these people standing, God, have wrestled with you and continue to wrestle with you because they hold on to you. I ask you to bless them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to fill them with your Holy Spirit and to empower and direct them to move forward from here, not as men and women who are pushers, but as men and women who have wrestled and prevailed (laughs) with you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.